You're listening to Wise Women Speak with Linda Pritcher and Lana Bastianucci, where we give voice to the wisdom in women. If you'd like to reach us with your thoughts about the podcast or you're interested in coaching, please contact us at hello at wisewomenspeakpodcast.com. So Linda, today's episode is with Sari Luderman, who is a grief counselor, and the takeaways that I think our listeners will really find intriguing are when she talks about finding meaning by being able to tell your story and and being able to praise the one you've lost or the thing you've lost. What's one of yours? Yeah, I think um, I think that's a beautiful one and a really important part of the conversation. And then um, Sari spoke about the transformative process of grief, how people's lives, their experience of life is really transformed by um, by what's happened and their ability to be reflective about that and to see something new. Yeah, and the last one I think that's important is she talks about this place of uncertainty, of not knowing, and what is the gift in that, and where they go there. So I think our listeners are really going to get a lot from this conversation. Agreed. I, I think this is, a, this is a beautiful conversation, and to have this at this time of year when many people during the holidays are experiencing grief because of someone who was with them in the past and is no longer with them so yes enjoy yeah hi linda hi lana so today we're in studio with sari luderman who is a grief counselor and certified thanatologist which is the study of death in life and she's located in lexington massachusetts She supports individuals, schools, companies, and communities who have suffered a loss or are navigating end-of-life issues and believes that grief and the pain of loss is a testament to what is most important, meaningful, and even wondrous in our lives. So welcome, Sari. It's so lovely to have you here. Thank you very much for having me on. So in preparing for our interview with you, I I was perusing your amazing website. I absolutely love it. And I I love how you described what you do. And one of the things among many that struck me was this paragraph that you wrote. And I'm just going to read it to you and just see what comes from that. You wrote, I feel comfortable suspended in a space in which there are no answers and no certainties. People who are grieving often feel restless and want answers. Why did this happen? How will I get through it? How will my life change without this person in it? I help them ask these questions and get through the not knowing. That's so powerful because even in our work, we understand and we see so many times how people are so not comfortable in the not knowing. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to this place? Sure, sure. I think culturally we make a lot of demands on the pace at which we should do things. And grief is really chief amongst those things. Really sort of the entire experience around dying is it makes us uncomfortable and we make all kinds of judgments and demands on the griever and the the person who's had the loss that are so counterintuitive and so exactly what that person doesn't need and one of those is 
people want to assert certainty. They want to share with their loved one who's grieving that it's all going to be okay, that there, you know, that there are things that can be done to make it the way it used to be, and these things are patently untrue. When you have had a loss, you are transformed, your life is transformed, and people find it to be a huge relief when they come to me and I say, I don't have answers, but I'm really comfortable in the space where we both don't know together. And often I'm the first person who said that. You know, everybody else has kind of come up with (laughs) things that ring really false to the griever, you know, things that they know aren't true. Their spouse is gone, their child is gone. They know in their gut, in their very soul, that their life has changed forever. And to not acknowledge that is a loss in and of itself. You have to make space for people to feel chaotic and be chaotic. Grieving is very chaotic. You say that you sit in mystery with people, and I love that. Mm -hmm. And so can you speak more about that? I mean, you've already started to, but... But how, what form does that mystery uh, space take? I really help my client find their own way. Sitting in mystery is very much not about me, but about the person that I'm working with, helping them discover what can be answered and what can't. My office is a really peaceful, quiet space. I always try to have something seasonal, a plant, a pumpkin. I look out onto the bike path and trees, and the space itself is intentionally meant to help with introspection. I let there be silence sometimes. I let there be quiet between us. My clients cry a lot, and they need the space to cry, and that's sitting in mystery too. So I really try to create a space where whatever gets done that can get done. My work is very much free of expectations. So to some extent, that's what I mean about sitting in mystery. I don't typically have clients that are devoutly religious. They don't typically have their loved one's next address at the ready. So they're more questioning in terms of what's, what's happened here. I try to help my clients determine what they believe. Where do they feel their loved one is? So it seems like it's an it's an understanding that occurs in the space with you and them in the room in the moment. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Yeah, and somehow it sounds like and 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 tell us if this is true that there's wisdom at work here. Mm-hmm. That there's something that you that you know to be true in the moment with them that you can offer them. And it may be just silence. Mm -hmm. Or it may be that you know the right thing to say to allow them to have the experience that they need to have. Would that be true? I think that that's true. I'm always very frank with my clients about, about that piece of it. Some people need help grieving, right? To finding their way, there's, there's sort of so almost stupefied or kind of frozen. And so I'm very frank. People steal themselves, but then they find that really my frankness is a relief. It's more freeing than anything else. I had a client say to me recently, she said, you're like Oprah. I always know you're going to just ask the question that's just going to bring me to my knees, you know, but it's so helpful. We kind of chuckle together. I love my clients. I, I love them. And I said, I know that's a compliment, but I know I understand what you mean. And she said, you just get 
right to the heart of sort of helping me illuminate for myself what what's going on here. And that would be different for different people. Would that be true? Very much so. Very much so, yeah. In this space that you offer and sort of hold for your clients, to me it seems like such a sacred place because you're seeing people at probably their most vulnerable Mm -hmm. and most open Mm -hmm. in many ways. From your experience, what have you learned about the human condition? I think that grieving reveals to us and to others our, our most humane self. It drills right down into our very humanity and most vulnerable core to be grieving. You're right, people are incredibly vulnerable. In that kind of rawness, things can be revealed to them that they didn't have access to before. Or in some kind of transformation as they grieve, they have more access to feelings and choices they've made. It can be a very rich time for life determination when you are grieving. You know, maybe you can't actually, maybe you don't have the steam to do much about it, but all of a sudden choices you've made, things you've done really come into question for some people. And that can be a huge piece of, of the work. There's a specific Native American tradition in which it's said that grievers are most sacred and most holy. And that to be near uh, to be near someone who is grieving is, in fact, y- sort of your chance to rub elbows with the divine. And I would say that's probably true. I would say that that's very much what my work feels like to me. That I really, it is sacred. I've heard it described as sacred listening. I think that that's true. My work feels deeply spiritual and. You know, when people say, oh, it just sounds awful, it sounds so hard what you do, and I think, no, I feel like I'm right at the core of the meaning of, of it all. All the, you know, when I'm, when I'm working with my clients, that's how I feel. I feel like I'm at the center of something so important. It feels very sacred to me. You've said that grieving is a way of praising what we've lost. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear more about that. So Martine Prechtel He has written a lot about exactly that. What I have on my site is paraphrasing, but I think that he gets right to the heart of the idea that what happens when our loved one dies is there's all this love, there's all this praise, and now with the absence of our loved one, where does all that good energy go? And that good energy becomes grief. And in that, grief is praise because the more profound the grief, sometimes I'm not one for mathematical algorithm, algorithms where grief is concerned, but the more profound the loss, the deeper the grief, the, the more intense the praise. And one of the things we deprive people of and that people so desperately need to do when they're grieving their loved one is praise. They need to tell their stories. They need to drill down to meaning about their lives and their their time with their loved one, and they really need the opportunity to to talk and to praise and to remember. It's a way of making that person alive again. It's just a, it's a whole way to access the, the way into their new life. I see what you're saying in terms of being able to tell the story. It's like a, it's almost like a cleansing, like a bringing forth and being able to, in real time, extrapolate meaning. Mm-hmm 
from their life, your life, life lessons, getting to the core, as you say, the core of what life is about. I mean, it's such a powerful moment mm-hmm. and opportunity. Is, is that why it's so important to allow people to, to tell their story? Very much so. You have to allow people the space to tell their story. They have to hear themselves. They need to experience it within themselves, and then they need to leave and they need to think about it some more and digest it some more. It's a really important sort of that kind of narrative process. And my work is so important. And when people talk about meaning, one of my least favorite phrases in the world is when people say everything happens for a reason and that kind of thing. So when we're talking about meaning, I'm not talking about that kind of meaning at all. I'm talking about your own personal durable roadmap to your new life that's what you're you're finding your way to how what what you've had is going to inform the future how you're going to survive it how you might even be able to thrive at some point but it really is very much about you've got to look back to be able to sort of think about moving forward and to manifest all that was wonderful about that person and figure out sort of ways to honor that and um, incorporate that into your life. You must be privy to quite a few profound moments where people either transform or have some kind of realization right in front of you. Is there one that you can share with us? When I first started working as a grief counselor, I had an experience where I was doing some group work and there was a particularly animated child in the group really struggling. Sometimes all that activity means they're really, they're, they're struggling with feeling and not having words for it. And this young person was very active in group and really uncomfortable. And it was one of my first groups. And at the end of our meeting, when the kids transitioned to another room, this child was the last child out the door and I was the last adult out the door. And he turned off the lights and slammed the door and locked the door and I was in a dark room by myself and terrified but I have reflected on that moment so many times in my life because I think what he wanted me to know was what his life felt like now what an incredible story an experience that's um, that stayed with you, and I, I can understand why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very powerful. Yeah, I am really there at incredible moments in people's lives. I'm privileged to experience both some of those really hard kind of gut-wrenching moments or watching someone slowly absorb a loss, right? Because we really, we can't accept it all at once. So for me, there's moments of just, you know, and when I say those moments of watching someone slowly absorb that their loved one is gone, not because, of course, it gives me any kind of pleasure, but because I'm there to support them in that moment and they're brave enough to, to, to kind of slowly find their way there and know that there's space for that and we're going to find our way together. Yeah, and people have to step back, I, I would think, after seeing you and be reflective because it's a journey, really, mm-hmm. and it's an experience that they're having, and it's their own. Yeah, huge pieces of their own work happen far outside the confines of my office, and I'm always careful when I first, when I have a new client and I'm scheduling them, and I say, 
you know, you probably don't want to have to go to work after your first session. You probably never want to, you know, let's, let's like talk a little bit about what the time around this appointment might look like for you. Um, and what time of day you want to come in because it is, it's hard. It's really hard work. It's exhausting. Yes, it's organic and it's work we're meant to do, but it's really hard work. And I try to really help them understand that they're going to need to make space for that in their lives. And people sometimes come in a week later and it can be a, a very much an amazing process in terms of what people leave with and come back with in terms of their own kind of watershed moments of feeling like perhaps they're a little more resilient than they were previously. Like they hadn't, they bottomed out. They had, they were absolutely not resilient anymore. They could not cope with the snowplow not coming on time. And all of a sudden there's some realization like somehow this week it was okay. You know, I was able to do things. I was able to open some bills that were scary to me and not have to go get back under the bed covers. I was able to, um, you know, take care of some things that felt big and frightening before and I'm finding my way. That is very rewarding. It's very frightening for people to have their lives rearranged on that kind of level. Yeah, and in some cases, dramatically and, and instantly, mm -hmm. right? You work with people in, in the state of people who are dying, mm -hmm. people and relatives of people who, are, who, have, who have passed away, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Have you ever worked with anyone who was grieving their own imminent death? Yeah. I have. I've seen more people who, for instance, have a question mark around their own health and their own future that modern medicine can't answer. Certainly, I see folks who are struggling with cancer. Maybe it hasn't been determined as life-limiting, but it's, it's cancer, and it's really rough. Definitely people who've had diagnoses that are either uh, life-limiting or just questionable. Try same thing about living in uncertainty, not knowing, am I grieving my life? Am I, is this illness coming for me too? You also work with children who come from divorce, mm -hmm. who are grieving mm -hmm. the loss of their their intact family. Right. Can you talk to that and, and what shows up there? Mm. There are hallmarks to loss that are so similar across all kinds of loss, and divorce is very much one of them. Oftentimes in a divorce, there's not permission for the children to grieve because the parents are struggling themselves and are really focused on their own pain in some way. And even the, the most sort of parents who, are, who, have their who love their children, you know, they adore their children and they're trying really hard. It's often a space where just naming loss is a gift for the child, right? That, that someone's identifying that their world is changing in a really profound way. Grief for children, including divorce grief, can look very chaotic. There can be a lot of acting out. There can be a lot of crying, but a disrupted routine. It's possible to help it be less for the children. That's, I feel like, that differentiates it, right? You, you can control that stream more than mom or dad's died. But in a divorce, if you can really collaborate with the family and collaborate with the parents, you can help those kids. They're still going to feel lost, and it still has to be acknowledged. It is a loss. But there are ways to shape things so that it's less agonizing. How did you come to this work, Sari? How did you get comfortable with it, if you even needed to get comfortable with it? Wow, that's a great question. I love that question. It's kind of like a braid. I mean, 
I, I'm often asked that question, and I struggle to adequately answer it in that I think there are two events that I talk about a little bit here. And the first one is, so I have two children. I have a 19-year-old son, and I have a soon-to-be 15-year-old daughter. And my daughter, when she was little, she, she was very ill as a child. It was so gut-wrenching to watch her struggle and to have all the doctor's appointments that we had and for my husband and I and grandparents to be so frightened. And my daughter's outcome was ultimately a positive one. By the time she was three, we were able to resolve her health ailment with surgery, but not before two and a half really harrowing years of fear and doctor's trips. So over time, I got to spend a lot of time at Children's Hospital. And there were children so much sicker than my daughter and families with challenges so much greater than ours. And it wasn't lost on me. I mean, there was my own overwhelmed space, but it wasn't lost on me that still our situation was that much better than most of whom we were surrounded by. And when my daughter was finally, finally had surgery and then there was a year after that where they monitored her very closely and it was determined that she was in she was in good health and then i got to really start watching her thrive and it was then that i thought okay well, i need to give back in some way to the world i need to find a way to take this experience and thread meaning through it and i heard about the children's room in arlington it's called the children's room a center for grieving children and their family they had a really rigorous, wonderful, they still do a volunteer program. So I went through their volunteer program and learned to, you know, be a volunteer kind of grief support person. And everyone was, my husband was so concerned about this work for me. You know, this is going to be too hard for you. You're so compassionate. You're so empathetic. You're going to bring all of this home and this is going to be too hard. And I had some of those reservations myself. I wondered. I wondered if I could do it. But what I learned over time was not only could I do it, but I loved it. I felt very comfortable. I felt supported in the work. So that was important for sure. They were very supportive of the volunteers. But I felt just really drawn to, drawn to it. I felt like this was something really wonderful and meaningful. And I just loved it. So then that was sort of a ladder that I continued to climb up. I thought, you know, a decade passed and I spent a decade volunteering there and loving it and increasingly sending out tentacles and doing coursework and having experiences. You know, I became trained as a hospice volunteer. I read a lot. I did a lot of coursework. And what I didn't realize is I'd sort of created my own CV just alongside doing this work because I was so fascinated with death and dying and, and what it means for us and grief and bereavement. That was sort of my genesis. And she's done it with such ease. It yeah. really speaks to the fact we we talk about being in the flow, mm -hmm. listening to your own inner wisdom, your own voice, so that that's how you navigated all of this. This is my fourth year now of private practice. And this is the busiest my practice has been for sure. And it's just growing. It's growing very quickly now. And I often wonder, I mean, I feel like I've been in flow for a while now. 
to do what I do, I have to be willing to be transformed alongside my clients. It's different than, I think, a lot of personal work. And that's okay, but I'm the one who has to look out for me. That's not their responsibility. Given that you've been in this, this privileged area of work where you look at death in life, how do you now see life and death? It's interesting. Uh, so I turned 50 this month, and people say, you know, people get all, get it all sort of get a case of the vapors about how old they're going to be and what their numerical age is. I'm like so delighted for every day that I get, for every second that I get. People say, how do you feel about turning 50? And I say, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm over the moon. I, so many people don't get all the years I've, I've gotten. I feel like I see life through the scrim of gratitude, compassion, and love. And I really use that lens for my own life. And it, everything, is, everything is richer. Everything is more wonderful. That is my, my own definition of life and death is embrace what's in front of you. Be grateful. You know, really that for me, it, it does in some ways boil down to that. I don't get wrapped up in small details the way I used to. Somehow it's just so much easier to sort of let things go and say, you know, that's just how it's going to be. I'm much more accepting and peaceful and open. So I feel like my work has really sort of softened my own rough edges and revealed to me very much what my own meanings around, around life, and they really are. It's, it's compassion and gratitude and love. Do you think that there's uh, wisdom in grieving? Very much so. You know, along the lines of sort of it being a sacred space, it's a deeply, profoundly rich, um, transformative space where you have access to feelings and thoughts and an understanding of the world that you didn't previously. It's like you're an onion and layers and layers are peeled away and you can sort of see better what, what's at your core People find their own meaning in those moments, and it's very profound. I think it's their wisdom speaking to them. Mm-hmm. I like the analogy of the onion where it's peeled back because it's, it's like all of our thinking and our smallness is kind of peeled away mm-hmm. to show what's really true for us. Mm-hmm. So, Sari, how would somebody get in touch with you if they wanted to work with you or learn more about you? The best place to start is my website. It's Luderman griefsupport.com and I'll spell that it's l-u-t-e-r-m-a-n grief g-r-i-e-f s-u-p-p-o-r-t dot com thank you Sari this has been a real privilege I'm just feeling very centered and grounded in this space with you. I, I think we're all feeling that. So I have a sense of what it would be like to come to you if I needed that help. So thank you. Thank you both. I'm yeah. so appreciative of, of a chance to sort of illuminate and, and, and to share with two people who I can tell really do understand my work in some way. So that's, that's really neat. And I appreciate the experience very much. So until next time, Lana. Until next time, see you later. Bye. You've been listening to Wise Women Speak. If you'd like to hear more, please visit us at wisewomenspeakpodcast.com. Find us on iTunes or anywhere you listen. 